Kia ora and welcome to the Stronger Dads Collective podcast, where we aim to help dads be stronger versions of themselves as fathers, people, and in their athletic pursuits. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome team to episode number eight of the Stronger Dads Collective podcast. Today we are joined by a special guest, an international guest again, coming all the way to you from Dallas, Texas in the United States of America, um, our first guest outside of the Australasia region. So it's a pleasure to have you, Zach. Um, for those of you who don't know Zach, um, he is a husband and father of two girls, uh, two-year-old and 11-month-old. Um, he's been in the gym since his dad started bodybuilding when he was five years old. So cool story there of kind of being inspired by your own father. Um, very suitable for our podcast. Um, that led him to get a biology degree and understand physiology. Um, he competed in Olympic weightlifting for almost 10 years and then in 2021 decided to um, do his first endurance event. Um, and if you've followed him on Instagram and seen him on there, you'll see he's been doing some fairly long um, endurance events. Uh, what he does for a day job is he coaches parents um, who want to get stronger and compete in endurance events. So kind of that, I guess, hybrid type style there of athlete, but specifically focused on parents, which is really cool and really suitable um, to kind of what we discussed here. So when I saw um, Zach on Instagram, I have no no prior relationship with Zach. Um, that's the first you know, I just saw that he was putting up cool posts and started following him and thought he was doing some interesting stuff and said, hey, man, do you want to come on? So here you are, Zach. Introduce yourself. Yeah, uh, it's great to, to be on here, and I'm excited to talk today. Uh, you know, I uh, I just started uh, strength training when I was really young. Um, you know, like I said, or you said, my dad uh, did his first bodybuilding show when I was five, and I've always just really been interested in strength training with some hiccups along the way. Um, and then now I really fallen in love with hybrid training. Um, I know that's becoming more and more popular, but just generalizing my training more. And uh, I know we'll get into this, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really into ultra running. Never thought I would be, especially with my Olympic lifting background, because they seem to be at odds. Um, but now it's, it's uh, helping others do the same thing, as well as managing parenting stress. Like that's my focus mainly. Um, so right now it's going to be balancing strength with ultra endurance events cool cool oh yeah and ultra is that's about as extreme as you get um for, for an endurance event so combining that with strength is definitely you know a fairly novel thing and, and we can get into the details of mm -hmm. um what that looks like later because i know that we've we've chatted about our training routines and things um mm -hmm. via those direct messages um mm -hmm. and yeah it's an interesting way of doing things and it's something that i think people um that may be interested and intrigued they may not necessarily want to all do it as you say i don't think people sit down and you know think as their first goal or or, or a goal at all sometimes um, man i'd love to run 100 k's or 100 miles like it's not really the first thing that pops up on the list of goals <laughs> yeah um, <And laughs> it's funny uh, i actually you know like i said olympic lifting and we'll get into how parenting affected my olympic lifting career because it did significantly um, but I work in a gym, uh, you know, a mm. chain here in America. And uh, one of my coworkers, she's into marathoning and she goes, you want to do the Dallas half? I'm doing the full. And I was like, no, I absolutely do not want to. <laughs> but um, as you know, uh, Nick Bear and Fergus Crowley, people like that on YouTube, I was like, well, you know, these are very inspiring individuals. Mm. What's 13 miles compared to what they're doing? And they're, you know, strong and jacked. 
So I was like, all right, I'll just try. And this was October and the race was in December. So I was running two days a week building to a half marathon, um, which felt just like forever, you know, like it was like the worst. Um, Cause I, I was looking at my first hybrid style training block I wrote and it was just so much training in the week. Like I was trying to maintain, you know, getting stronger, Olympic lifting, you know, power development and then you know throwing 10 mile runs on the weekend and i remember feeling after the race just like yeah never want to run again literally my hamstrings were the most sore i've ever felt them and i've lifted pretty heavy like i'm a leg day kind of guy like my hamstrings have been wrecked before but never like that half marathon so i was like nope never gonna do a race again and then the following november um i ended up doing 100k you know, and we'll get, you know, the we can talk about November. that more. Jeez. Yeah, the next November. So I, within 12, 13 months, I had done my first 100K of running, like ever running, you know. So so we'll, we can discuss that. But yeah, it was a, it was a big transition from strength training only to to getting to 100K. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, that's that's quite the transition within a year from from a half to a hundred k. Like even mm. even for a runner, that's a pretty big uh, transition. Having not done the the marathon or the forty two point two before that, so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but let's just wind it back a little bit, Zach. Um, most of our listeners currently, or what, when we're recording this, will be you know from New Zealand and Australia, so down mm. the other side of the world to you, um, and. I don't actually know your background or where you're raised or anything like that. So um, I know you live in Texas now, but what what was childhood like for you over in the States and kind of just, yeah, delve us into a bit of that history. What was it like for you growing up? Um, what were you into? And sort of, I guess, how did you get from there to to that present day? You can sort of carry that story on and I, I might just interrupt you as we go. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, so I actually grew up um, just south of Chicago. My parents were born in Chicago. I was born in Chicago. They were raised there. They moved, uh, you know, my family out when we were young. And my dad and mom were like genetic, like very high level, high level in, a, in terms of ability athletes. But they had my brother and I when they were very young, um, 19 and 20 when when I was born. So, you know, that threw them for a loop. And they grew up in a really rough part of the city. So college and, and things like that weren't on their mind. Um, my mom actually got a scholarship to the University of Illinois of Chicago, but then had me. So, so that put a wrench in things. And um, so, so they were very high level athletes. They were young. Um, you know, so I grew up with them, right? Like they were very young when they had us. So my dad did a lot of athletic things. He played, uh, you know, softball rec recreationally you know he bowled a lot uh, but he he wanted us to be my brother and I um, to be very very athletic and um, I grew up a very timid kid um, which is also like antithesis to my my aspirations now um, but I played baseball and I played football um, and even wrestled and I uh, I was I was athletic but I was very afraid uh, and we'll get into that later too. Uh, I was afraid of things, um, getting hurt, uh, which those are three sports or two of those sports really play well when you have a lot of fear. And, uh, so I had a lot of interest in athletics, but that held me back. Um, I didn't take a lot of chances and, uh, that, that made a lot of tension. Well, my dad got into bodybuilding. He did very well. Um, he competed at a high level, he like won his pro card at his first show. He was a natural bodybuilder, but he did very, very well. 
Um, so I grew up in a household where athletics were a big thing. Um, body image was a big thing. And that actually made me not want to ever work out. Uh, I would go to the gym in spurts with my dad, but then I would back away. Um, and then as I got older, uh, I found like reading and, you know, science and, and, um, Believe it or not, at the time, Lane Norton was at University of Illinois, and my dad was competing against a lot of his athletes. So there was a lot of talk about Lane. And I don't know if you know Cliff Wilson, but he he's a bodybuilding coach, high level as well. And, you know, he would come to the gym that my dad and I would work out at. And these are people who this my dad didn't know anything about macronutrients. Well, then I started following Lane and learning that motivated me to go get my degree in biology. Mm -hmm. Um, and at that time I still thought I wanted to compete in bodybuilding. So I did my first physique show and I hated it. Um, because I was doing it. What was that you hated? Uh, so I won doing it because that's what my dad did, right? Like this was my, my first, first time reflecting like, Oh, I'm doing something because this is what my dad does. And like, there is a level of like, I want to, to do it because he's doing it. And I see what, you know, the recognition he gets and that that's kind of what I hated. One, um, I respect it. You know, I still, you know, I'm around it, but the, I I don't care to do a lot of hypertrophy work. Even now I have to motivate myself to do it because it's, it, it's not as fun to me. Um, fun's probably not the right word. It, it gets boring to me a little bit more. Um, so I do it now, uh, to maintain, but it's, it's not as fun. And then also the dieting, like I can diet well, but it wasn't enjoyable to be on stage. Like I didn't view it as much of an art as my dad did. And that's what motivated him. And that's why he did really well. Um, I didn't view it as an art as much as I do other sports now. Um, so I did that my sophomore year of college. Um, and then at my local gym, um, well, I started powerlifting as like an off season thing as most bodybuilders do. Then at the gym at my school, there were a lot of Olympic lifters there. So fortunately, and I saw them doing moving really cool. And I was like, Oh, Hey, that seems cool. Um, and so, you know, I, I remember doing my first clean and jerk. It was like 185 pounds and I was like hooked, you know? Um, oh my God, I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and that just became its own obsession. Um, so in college I started Olympic lifting. I taught myself mainly, uh, mainly myself, all the lifts through YouTube, like hook grip. I had some people helping me. Right. Um, and then from there I was, was there a team in your college? There was like a small, small, like Purdue barbell, but it was like a remote coach, um, it wasn't really like developed. There was just a bunch of people mm-hmm. who got this same program and followed it. Um, but it was just a bunch of people who really liked working out. And, and it was what I liked about it. It was a group of people who are engineers, right? Purdue is a, uh, an engineering school who wanted to move and use like biomechanical, biomechanical thinking. Right. So I really thrive, um, at some point you got to let that go. But in, in the beginning, it was like something I could try to master, right? It's a mm-hmm. movement to be mastered, th- three movements to be mastered. Um, and that just became super, super interesting to me. Um, and that was how I got into it. Cause it was like, 
tangential to, you know, bodybuilding, uh, powerlifting, and then to be able to move athletically. And then, you know, 10 years later, looking back, it was also a way for me to, you know, validate strength, like diving under heavy weight, you know, like that was a, that's a great feeling. Uh, you know, my best snatch ever is 120 kilos at 175 body weight, like, uh, or I guess, uh, 81 kilos right <laughs> around there. Um, I was going to say, pe- people would have thought, uh, thought I see from New Zealand that there's quite the weight loss story. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> from your 176 kilos, but that, yeah, that's yeah. pounds. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, pounds. Yeah, 170, 176 pounds, 81 kilos was the class I competed in. So snatched 120. And, you know, that I'm going to hang my hat on that. Like, that is a great feeling to be able to dive under that stuff. You, and, you've and, got me by four kilos, mate. Oh, I goodness. Got, one, 116 was my best, but I would have probably been about 85, 86. So, okay. <laughs> you you win was... the Olympic weightlifting competition <laughs> for, the, for today's podcast. <laughs> for today's podcast. All right. Well, I'll take it. Because uh, um, I was, uh, when I, I had moved to Dallas, you know, I had uh, another coach before I moved here, but um, he was an Olympians coach before. And, you know, I developed a good love hate relationship with the sport. Um, at the time, like I, I trained very hard. Um, you know, I've got, I got to make it to university nationals. Uh, I was getting really, I was getting better, but I got really obsessed mm-hmm. with the sport. Um, long story short, I was, I was doing well. It was hitting lifetime PRs. Um, and then my wife got pregnant um after we got we were married for a month she got pregnant um and then like i obviously wanted to take my job seriously you know that really reprioritizes things and uh covid hit in you know february march of 2020 and my daughter's due date was uh you know end of june july of Mm -hmm. 2020 and so obviously lockdowns restricted how much we could lift um my job as a trainer kind of got put in the you know flipped upside down we didn't know what what was going to go on and at the time especially because olympic lifting became so intellectual something to be pushed for and it was probably in a healthy relationship with it at the time like Mm -hmm. it i felt lost you know like i was literally like my priority is logically to be a father but here's something that I put so much effort towards that I felt like it was a sunk cost. Like I should keep trying to push. Um, mm-hmm. And that that became a really, really hard thing. And I, I think just recently, and believe it or not, ultra endurance events take less out of me than Olympic lifting did. Um, but But I was, COVID really made me, and for many people put things in perspective, but it made me want to push harder, like find any way, you know, I started using a broomstick again, started working on mobility, listening to more podcasts. And I really wanted to push. But when gym started to open up again and I got back to work, you know, things felt better. Um, but I went back and as many people who listen to this, when you lack sleep, your power development, like goes out the window, you feel like you can't move properly. And what I was doing was getting upset at myself more than anything. And looking back, I, I mean, that's just ridiculous, right? Like, y- y- as a new father, and I'm, I would still consider myself a newer father, because um, your son is three, right? Uh, two, 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 two. So you're, you know, you're, you're still, we're still new in this game, mm-hmm. like, because this, the phases haven't been dragged out, right? The difference in months is, is massive. Yeah. Um, 
and you know, lack of sleep, uh, you know, I train early in the morning, you know, some of my clients are at 6am, like, you're, you're just, you feel like you just need to push more. And actually, why how I found you is uh, a discussion you had on a podcast about making progress when your son was born training less hours in the gym. And that was just a foreign concept to me, because Olympic lifters, you know, it, when I first started a seriously Olympic lifting, I mean, I was doing 12 sessions a week. And I was, I was a crap weightlifter. Like I wasn't anything good, but we have this thing. Like if I do more sessions, I will then be better. And uh, yeah, yeah. If in doubt, add more. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Mm. Like it was, I mean, I had been following uh, you for a little bit and obviously Mike and, you know, it was really a foreign concept to be like, oh, you can train less, get better quality and like spend time with your family. And it wasn't until we had our second baby that I was like, yeah, you know what? I like Olympic lifting, but that's an ancillary part of my life. Like it was always there. Just like I wanted to put more towards it. Um, can, can we just um, wind it back to just before? Sorry. Yeah. First baby or just before COVID. So how, how, like what, what did your sort of training regime look? Cause was that pure Olympic weightlifting at that stage? Say, you mm-hmm. know, January, February, 2020. Yeah, it was it was like I had hit my best clean and jerk ever in February of 2020. Yeah. So, so literally the month yeah. prior, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had won the Chad Vaughn Olympic weightlifting meet in the fall of 2019 or maybe summer. And then 2020, I had my best clean and jerk ever. And then, yeah, and then COVID shut me down. So I was training, you know five, six days a week, you know, two to three hour sessions sometimes. Now, granted, there's a lot of rest in there, but it was, mm-hmm. I mean, it was, I was, I was fully in it at that a long time. time in the gym. Eh? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I was probably spending like, and was your wife training? Uh, yeah, she was working out. Uh, my wife, she does, you know, bodybuilding style. Uh, well now she's also training for the hundred mile race that I'm doing too. <laughs> I, yeah. I did so notice that's that. a whole yeah. thing. Yeah. So we're both training for, for a long race, but yeah, she, she had actually just gotten into Olympic weightlifting and we didn't know she was pregnant when she did her first Olympic weightlifting meet, but she just did it as like she was dabbling in it while keeping in a lot of hypertrophy style training. Yeah. That was her focus. So not, not the all in mindset that you had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she had a better relationship with it. <laughs> so, so you were going at two to three hours a day or two to three hours each day you were training for about five or six days a week. And then baby comes along and you and your head and this is this is one of those things that I think is always really interesting and I liked the way you put it out you know this was such a big part of your life and that whole sunken cost basically that you've put in years and years and you know countless hours of effort into this thing and then you just have this event in this case a baby and it kind of everything has to change there's there's no way that it can't so how did that kind of look like? You mentioned that you probably didn't quite get it right until baby number two in terms of the mindset, the the shift with that, I guess. But what happened with baby number one in terms of you mentioned the lack of sleep and stuff? Um, you went from five or six days a week, two to three hours. What sort of did that look like come, you know, a month or two after? Yeah, a um, month or two after, um, I... I was still trying to get in six days a week. You know, I got it really wrong. Uh, and I would, 
supporting my wife, you know, I would try Mm. to train at like 9 p.m. or, you know, at work. I work in a gym, so I'm fortunate to do that. But I I was also busy, so it's not always easy to just like pop in and get a workout. Um, And um, I would try to force in getting at least an hour. Um, I actually hired a coach. I hired Max Ada at the time to try and like set a goal, right? Like I I try to double down. Um, If I, I felt like I was failing because I wasn't pursuing it. So I, you know, hire a coach to try and push me because I feel like I'm lacking motivation. So um, I reduced it to still probably like five or six hours a week instead of the 10, which is still a lot of time Mm -hmm. looking back. Um, Because the other thing too, I was used to training, you know, at like two, three, four PM. That's those are ridiculous hours to try and train when your daughter is just born. So I was trying to perform at the same level, but get it in at like 9 p.m. or um, 10 p.m. sometimes. And and at home we had a barbell. And, and so doing stuff like that or trying to fit in an hour session in 30 minutes at work. Um, so it was just a mess. Like I was trying I wasn't understanding my limitations at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find so you, so you did sort of halve that training volume in theory in terms of time-wise. Did you have to make any sort of cuts to other stuff that you were doing? You mentioned that you did a lot of mobility work during COVID. Like, did that get impacted, like your ability to do proper sort of warm-ups and cool-downs? Because for me, the big thing, because I was doing a bit of Olympic weightlifting prior to Harvey, and one of the big aspects that sort of I realised that why I couldn't commit enough time to it was because... A, I needed to reduce my session lengths. And for me, in order to get into a good snatch position, you know, or a good overhead position, I had to actually spend longer warming up than I probably typically would have for other things. And that's what sort of pushed me back to doing, you know, some some powerlifting type stuff again in terms of my focus with strength was was sort of, you know, squat, bench, deadlift stuff that for me I could warm up within a matter of sets, you know, and I could kind of start adding load and it wasn't going to, like I can't get into a good squat position because I've done it for you know a decade or more it's not a position that I struggled to get into but like for me that was one of the big things was I was like I I, if I only have 40 minutes in the gym (laughs) because I was trying to keep those sessions quite short I can't spend 20 of that getting myself warm and open to be able to do a good snatch and what am I going to do in 20 minutes with snatch like build up to one of my sets and then be done like (laughs) it was sort of like I just realized economically into you know like time economy it didn't make logistical sense for me to sit there and spend 20 minutes warming up, do just a, you know, just a few sets of snatch and then finish for the day. Like it didn't feel like a good use of that 40 minutes. I mean, yes, I could have pushed some of those sessions a bit longer, but for me, for those first few months, that was sort of my realization was, hey, yes, I'm enjoying this Olympic weightlifting, but actually it's not going to be feasible at the moment. And then I've just sort of never gone back <laughs> um I've, I've done a little bit of sort of power cleans and things again because i can do them pretty economically when i'm training um and i enjoy to be fair i enjoy the clean a lot more than i enjoy the snatch probably because i find the snatch a difficult position to get into um and i'm not that comfortable in the bottom but um with the yeah with the clean like i'm like well i don't need to warm up as much for this again it's a lot more similar position if you're just doing a, a clean or a power clean it's a lot more similar to a back squat or a front squat position in the bottom there. Um, so it's, it's again, the warm-up cost or the warm-up time for me personally. I know some people are just, you know, bendy and they can get into positions really easily. That's not me. Um, if I don't invest the time in the warm-up, I'm not going to open up my range of motion enough to get into a good position. Um, 
so yeah, what I almost lost my question there. I've gone so far, yeah. <laughs> but I guess how did that sort of impact that whole warm up time? Like, did you have to change what you were doing there in terms of whatever you might have been doing as that typical routine, or was it sort of you were able to keep doing that? Um, the warm up. So uh, I'm like the worst with warm ups even now. Uh, um, because I was doing it for so long, even now, if I don't snatch for a month, which sometimes I don't now, um, I can still snatch and get in a good overhead squat position. It, it really is. I mean, it, it doesn't always feel the best, but I can, if, even if I do it once a month, like I'll get it back pretty easily, but I had to fight, you know, fight a lot, just like most people do for that overhead squat position, you know. If you, had done was, it, you had done it for years, hadn't you? How long did you do the Olympic weightlifting for prior to that? Or prior yeah, to um, stopping? Um, uh, so, two, I mean, I'm about eight years at that time. Um, so, like, the first, if you would have asked me in the first three years of Olympic lifting, yeah, that would have been, like, oh. Massive thing. That, that okay. would have been yeah. huge. Yeah, the warm-up. What got me was the accessory, especially because, like, like I just made – I've had a lot of conversations about this with a lot of people like programs are malleable guesses to what training should look like. But I was like, no, I have to do push press. I have to do overhead squat. I have to do snatch balance. So what was happening was I was just bloating my, my time, right. Trying to fit so much in. Um, and, and, and that was the biggest thing that left me like, you can just do a snatch workout. Like, so mm -hmm. even in that case, you know, a 40 minute case, like, I, I could do like a snatch day and this is enlightening in our conversations that we've had of like how little you do sometimes like it's okay to do just one movement in that workout mm. um that was <laughs> that, that, that's taken time that's taken time for my mindset to change mm -hmm. but it's something yeah I think in the last year I would say that that's something that I've been a bit more like happy to let it be what it is and that's what it is and yeah, yeah. So it don't feel like that's something that I mastered from day one. That that took me a little bit of time to try and reduce what I was doing in a session down and be, what's the word, content. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that that was enough. Yeah, and and it, and it helps though, and I like, um, it helps to to talk to other dads who do stuff like that, right? Like you mm -hmm. you want to push, uh, and this is my mentality. I don't know if it is for everyone, but you want you want to push, right? You think the more I put in, the more I'll receive, and that that's obviously not true but like had I gone back you know it's okay to do a 40 minute snatch workout like it's okay to just nothing's gonna help me with my snatch more than just doing the snatch rather than trying to fit in like 15 minutes of my snatch work and then do snatch balances and then overhead squat that might take me an hour and a half I probably could have been like happier with less at that time um had I known like okay, build out a three day a week program that you can shift what days and, you know, mm -hmm. have ancillary lifts that are optional if you have the time. Um, being okay with a good enough workout is is hands down, like the biggest thing you got to learn as a, as a dad, if you want to be present with your kids, like just being okay with good enough. I think, yeah, that's a massive thing, um, is sort of taking what you can get as well. Like, as you said, a, a snatch is the most specific thing to a snatch. So if you've only got, you know, if you've got to warm up 20 minutes and then do 20 minutes of snatch, <clears throat> that's going to be better than saying flag it because I've only got 20 minutes. <laughs> and and with what you're saying, too, is what I've been more fluid with my training. Like to you, the snatch wasn't worth it. 
right? Yeah. Like that, it's not it's not worth it to spend 20 minutes when you could be doing something that you find much more enjoyable. Like that's another thing that I wish I would have been able to learn a little bit sooner. We all learn our mistakes, but like it was becoming to the it was get it was coming to the point where I hated Olympic lifting. Like I hated the movements because I was so tied to them and I couldn't perform them at the level I wanted to that I was doing it like just like I was almost doing it out of spite to myself. Like I was hanging on to those movements because I had done them for so long. And then it almost felt like a punishment to continue to have to do them. Um, now I wasn't, I wasn't even a professional athlete. Like there was no reason to hang on to them. You know, looking back, I'd be like, Zach, you can just let them go, go do something more enjoyable. Um, and so, yeah, like, I think you have to ask yourself like one, why am I doing this sort of training? Cause you can get so much out of it, but two, like you don't have to just because you've done it before. Like if 40 minutes is all you've got, why don't you do something in those 40 minutes that you enjoy, then go back with your family. Cause what also what was happening, my wife still teases me about this. It was to the point where I thought the interference effect was so big that the, the week before a meet, I wouldn't even go want to shop around. Like I wouldn't want to walk a grocery store because I was like, my legs are, need to be fresh for this, this meat. Right. Like looking back, that's so ridiculous with how far I've come, but like it was, it was so bad. And that's just not the truth. Humans are much more resilient and like, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, if you're, if you're going for the Olympic gold medal in the weekend, it's way different. I, yeah. I would probably say to you, yeah, uh, like I respect that you can sit on the couch this week, Zach, and you know mm -hmm. just just do the workouts that we've got planned, and maybe a couple of real gentle walks. But <laughs> if you're if you're you know at, at our sort of level where you're 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 decent, but you're not you know amazing, you're not going to be the national champion, let alone the Olympic champion. And it's like yeah, you tie so much of it, and that's that that mindset is a really interesting thing to me about what you mentioned being tied to the lifts and being tied to like a specific movement because for me. Obviously, powerlifting was my my first main sport, and sort of I've always since then held on to the squat, the bench, the deadlift. Like every you know, almost every training program I've done, except when I was doing when I was doing the Olympic lifting focus, the deadlift sort of got dropped, and the bench was very minimal. I might have done it once every month or something, but I was still really like I felt bad you know, like not doing bench and not doing deadlift and predominantly because I had done those to a relatively high level and I had achieved something in my head, those numbers were important to me, but then it almost backfired on me as well. If I'm on a sack, like when I was doing that, I was like, I can't go back because I'll be so bad. Like I, I can't just go and do a bench session randomly because I'm going to be doing like, you know, hundred kilos as sort of, you know, hundred, 120 as my max. And that's just going to be like depressing for me <laughs> um and so it kind of like had these two things like I wanted to do them but when I did do them because I hadn't done them for a while I was so poor at them um and people asked you know during that time period where I was doing the Olympic weightlifting and also I think when I was doing a little bit of CrossFit before I got into the Olympic weightlifting you know people would ask oh you're going to go compete in powerlifting again I'm thinking man like my squat has probably dropped 50 to 70 kilos in the time that I haven't been fully focusing my entire life around this and like I don't want to step onto a platform and squat 50 kilos less than I did when it was my full focus like are you crazy <laughs> um but it in really reality like it, it means like you know as much as we attribute meaning to these sports like 
it's just squatting a barbell. Like it's not actually, you don't get rewarded from doing that in terms of, for me, there's no financial reward. There's no anything reward. It's all just an inbuilt sort of perception that we have around it. Um, so it was just really interesting to hear you sort of say that and echo some of those thoughts around tying a lot of meaning and association to these lifts. And then, as you said, an out of spite, um, basically continuing to do them because, yeah, I sort of had a bit of that similar sort of feeling like trying to let them go. It was like I couldn't, but I knew that it was fine to like logically I knew that was fine but psychologically I couldn't and then when I did it was almost like a don't go back because you'll be so useless and no one else would think that way everyone else would think you're still really strong um, because comparatively you are but you don't compare yourself with other people you know in those situations you compare yourself with yourself um, <laughs> so yeah it's been quite interesting this last year for me where I've been doing the last probably 18 months where I've been doing a lot more of the powerlifting but it's kind of just being you know I say powerlifting but that's a loose term because I'm not competing so I'm not really a powerlifter I'm just a guy who does squat bench and deadlift at the gym <laughs> um, so for me that yeah that's a real I, I find that really interesting to hear someone else sort of telling us their perceptions there and think about that like that's uh, that that's a big thing you are a guy doing squat bench and deadlift in the gym now you go to an event Right. These events are hosted in like hotels, high school gyms, um, you know, sometimes at a gym. And they're just you're just another guy squat benching and deadlifting with other people who value the thing you're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. Squat bench and deadlift were invented, you know, let's just say 150 years ago. Eric Helms would be better with this information. But <laughs> but like it was literally it be, it. These things started because someone said, how cool would it be if I could do X, right? I could sit on my or lay on my back and press up uh, a barbell, right? We, we attribute, attribute so much meaning to these things that when we let them go, we're letting a part of our identity go, right? There, there's nothing magic. And I even teach people now. I teach Olympic lifting now to a lot of parents who just want to do this for fun. I, I ask them, what's the difference between a snatch in training and a snatch on the competition platform. Nothing. Don't treat it any differently. All of this stuff you put around the worry, put around it, you know, leave that. It's just another mm -hmm. snatch. You know, you do it the same way if it's 100 kilos or 200 kilos, right? You do it the same way. But I think the re reverse works when you become a father. The difference between a competition bench and your training bench is no different. If mm -hmm. you get the same validation out of competition bench as you would in training you would love your training a whole lot more like the sake of doing it is why we all started in the first place that's why mm. anybody started any any physical event is how cool would it be if i did this thing this crazy thing and that's really how i've been coming at my training um so with it uh if you want to know a little bit about, well, I guess I haven't gotten to how I got into ultra endurance events, so we can start there and then talk about how my training looks to reflect that mentality now. But can I just can I just grasp onto one more thing there? Yeah, you absolutely. mentioned that um, you mentioned about the competition lift being as valuable as the gym lift. Like in terms of you know, if you hit a PB in the gym, you should be proud of that and you should take that and be happy with that, just as you would on the competition platform. I remember when I was probably relatively new to powerlifting I'd probably done a few competitions but I started to like in my head 
essentially like downplay any gym lifts like you know someone will do a pb in the gym or something and i'll be like yeah but you haven't like in my i wouldn't say this to people obviously but in my mm-hmm. head i'd be thinking cool you hit a pb but it's not on the platform it's not on the platform yeah <laughs> you know, know and like exact thought pattern that, yeah. that mindset you know it makes like all of your value then becomes on the competition platform um it's not about what's happening here and so actually like i used to really struggle with people who were just content with training and hitting pbs in the gym like i couldn't comprehend how you didn't need to do a competition to feel like that lift counted like you know that hit say a 200 squad or something in the in the gym and they'd be like absolutely stoked and i'm thinking to myself but it doesn't count yet you know like in my head and like what a stupid thing to think like for that person they don't have any like desire to compete it's not something they're interested in so for them that's just as significant as for me hitting you know a pb at a competition but in my head i couldn't see that for that person that that counted and that's something now that is so much different like if i'm making progress at home because i'm not hitting pbs in the powerlifts anymore that's probably unless i decide to devote my entire training to that again it's probably not going to happen let's be honest Mm -hmm. but like when i'm progressing again and i'm coming back and getting bigger numbers that that's fine to keep me going now like I don't feel this desire to jump onto a platform it's not that I won't ever do that again but currently I'm like I'm content with that I'm happy with that and it's so funny to look back at like you know early 20s Hayden and be like man you put so much weight on that as you said the identity part you put so much weight on that um and it is it's just a thing that we make up and we do for fun together but you know it's not the super bowl there's not millions of dollars on the line it's literally just you know you're paying to go to these comps overseas when i was doing them um out of your own pocket basically the irony of it is the people who excel maybe they don't find it always enjoyable or or really like this like heavy heavy thing but they're gonna like it, it comes to them a little bit less like it, it's not as heavy for people who really excel, you know, and especially because I, I mean, fortunately, where I am in Dallas, I've met a lot of high level athletes, like people who have won the Stanley Cup in hockey, like I used to work mm. for somebody. It, it comes so easy to them, not easy in the sense of they don't have to work hard. They do, but they'll pick up lifts in a way that are like the, I have to work towards it. Right. And so what I had to think about as my daughter was moving around and why I really did start running is to be healthier for my daughter, but I wanted to have a healthy relationship with exercise. And so I talked to myself, like I would be talking to my, my two-year-old, like, Hey, like how, if she had a bad practice of something, like, how would I, how would I talk to her? Like, why, you know, I would ask her, like, why are you doing this thing? you know, I'm not going to be a parent who like forces my kids to do any specific activity. Like I'm not going to be like this, this stringent parent. I want them to be active because that's important. But if they don't like an activity, like they don't have to see it out. And, you know, it's obviously crazy different than how I felt about my training. And like kids just play, right? They just play. Um, And I've seen a lot of people who, who at my gym, like, this is just adult play, right? The barbell is just adult play. And like people who keep showing up to the gym are the ones who enjoy being at the gym. And like, why don't I just start doing things I enjoy? Like I will get stronger because I will put more effort. And I think that's what made the decline over time. Wasn't it never ended up being just because the sleep and everything that that's, that's fleeting, right? You, you eventually sleep more, you find a, a rhythm with your partner. But what happens is, like, 
you're just doing it. You're on autopilot when you go in the gym and therefore mm -hmm. you're putting less effort into those lifts or that type of training. And then you just beat yourself up psychologically over and over and over again. And if I saw my daughter doing that with a sport, I would just ask her like, why are you continuing this? And then I had to ask myself that, why are you continuing this? Like, it's clearly eating you up. You can let that go. Like I had to mm. give, like, literally it sounds so like cheesy, but I had to give myself permission to just not do it anymore. And so I was actually trying to Olympic lift and get into running. And uh, like, I was, I was getting, I wouldn't say injured, but it, like, man, I was getting beat up. Like, and I imagine Were you a doing of, a full Olympic weightlifting program still or yeah. trying to do pretty much a full Olympic weightlifting program plus a full yep. running? Yeah. Yep. 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 I was, I like, well, I was doing two days a week, but like, if I look back at that volume, like that was wild. Like I was doing, for example, I was building up to, I would do like three miles on Tuesday and then on Saturday I would do a long run before work. So, you know, waking up at like 4 a.m. Um, and then trying to get 10 miles in. Um, way too fast, but, uh, you know, 13 miles in a week. And I've like, just jumped right to it. Cause I didn't know, I, I didn't really know better. I had seen some hybrid stuff, but like, I just went in. And so that, that really beat me up. Um, my Achilles tendon did not like that. That was the big one, but just typical runners injuries, but I was really loading it, loading it up, trying to do it all. And then you know, obviously new parenting too, but just giving myself permission to like, this is all made up and I can enjoy it like it's made mm. up. Like that has been the biggest thing in my own training is like, this can be fun. Like I can do things that I find enjoyable and not every season of my life needs to be around this, like this thing. So that's, yeah, I think it's taking that pressure off yourself. Eh? Like <clears throat> when we have that emphasis on it, it's our identity. There's all these things associated with it. You have this real, like, you put this internal pressure on yourself because to be honest, no one externally is probably putting pressure on you when you're Olympic weightlifting. Like you might have a coach who you probably feel has these real big expectations or whatever. But in reality, when you're a coach, you probably still care a lot more about the enjoyment. Yes, you want to see progress, but you want someone to be enjoying their training and engaged in their training and finding that process like a positive experience. Um, you don't want them to feel beat up and beat down and not able to enjoy life because they're just so tired from training right you want them yes you want them to work hard but you actually care about them or if you're a good coach you care about them as a person and there's actually more to it <clears throat> than just the numbers on the platform um so for yourself like it's like you didn't have to have that pressure on yourself to keep doing it and there was probably when you left the sport i don't imagine the world exploded and the sun stopped coming up no i actually didn't snatch for a whole i, I would probably say like eight months i i had to stop like it, it almost uh, this is obviously a much lesser example, but it's like when, uh, you know, somebody has to give up alcohol, like you, you can't go to the bar. You got to just you can't because you're just it just psychologically like beat me up. And what you said about like you you felt like you had to and all that like that, that's rings so true to me. Like that's a big piece of it. Um, now I've recently started snatching again, but it's actually enjoy it. Like I do it because mm -hmm. it's fun. Like it's a cool movement. Like um so I've kind of like relearned to love, love it. But yeah, I mean, the world did not blow up. If anything, I, I, it got better. I think that's one of the things as well. Like we're not, or I'm not saying people who are loving these sports and enjoying these things and wanting to progress that there's anything wrong with that. Like I, 
I 100% support people going all in on a you know a powerlifting or a weightlifting or whatever the sort of um, thing is that they enjoy doing. It's more that try try not to make it so unhealthy that if you you know aren't enjoying it that you don't feel like you can take a step back because I think that's where the problem comes is once it's I don't know if you can hear my dog in the background there. Um, you know, this we don't want to put much emphasis on it that it consumes everything else. You know, like there's more to Hayden. Even when he was a powerlifter, my dog's going hard to you. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's about 7 a.m. in the morning for me, Zach's in the nearly lunchtime. Um, but my house is just awaking. So <laughs> people are getting up, dogs are making noise. It's all, mm-hmm. all crazy. Um, but yeah, like that's the thing for me. It's like you don't have, like, it's, I love people being competitive and wanting to be the best at something like I, and be better than themselves. Like I find that really encouraging. And as a coach, I, I always want, not coaching now, but as a coach, that's something I wanted to help people with, right, is to let them be as good at that thing as they can be um, and help them to do that. But by the same token, we don't want so much of your identity on that one thing that if that were to be taken away, you mentioned COVID, you know, like we don't know what can happen. So you don't put so much stock in it that if that was to happen, you don't even know yourself, you know, like have it as part of you, not all of you is probably what I'm trying to say there. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's absolutely fine to be fully dedicated, fully committed and prioritizing that, you know, in your life, that's absolutely healthy. And I did that probably did a little bit unhealthily, but you know, when I've pursued these sports, I have gone, you know, all in essentially. um, And it's just a different season at the moment. So I just want to make sure that people don't feel like I'm beating up on someone who's competitive I'm absolutely all for that. It's just for me and and the season I'm in and probably similar for yourself there, Zach, I don't want to speak on your behalf, but that's kind of how I view it as like, it wasn't the time for me to do that. And I needed to allow myself permission to not do that. So mm-hmm. yeah, just wanted yeah. to clarify that. Yeah. You worded that so, so beautifully. And, and like, honestly, I'm training way more now. I'm training for what people call the second hardest hundred mile foot race in America. Um, you know, I'm training for Leadville, uh, 100 mile race so my my training time is greater but like my mentality towards it like i'm not really attached to whether i finish or not but i'm training very hard like the like Mm -hmm. you know i do three four hour runs on saturday morning before my house wakes up like yours is right now um like i'm all for going all in i'm all in right now on this training goal but what Mm -hmm. it doesn't do is obsess like i don't i'm not thinking about it outside of training like I talk about it you know it's obviously when you become a runner all you can talk about is running right Um, same as a lifter (laughs) it's the meme yeah it's true you know but uh like the biggest thing is like it I'm at peace with it because it's not a part of my identity like yes I am a runner but like then I can take that hat off once my training session's over versus I couldn't do that before um but I train people to become that way with their training like yeah 100 percent now my training volume is bigger than it's ever been but my relationship to it is healthier than it's ever been and and i think striving for something is huge but perspective is everything my family is more important than my training goals right like that is there's bar none that is the most important thing so before missing a session would be like the end of the world now if i need to rearrange a session or wake up earlier to accomplish it that's just what it needs to be right now mm-hmm. That's cool, man. Could you just give us a little bit of insights into what that sort of looks like and how you've managed to get to that place where, yes, you're training this high volume, but you've managed to fit that and and put it in a, its appropriate place, I guess, priority-wise, 
um, around the family. And also you mentioned that your wife is training. So I'm just kind of interested in that dynamic of how do you and your wife make a week work so that you're both getting training in and you're still prioritizing the kids. Um, I was listening to a, a book yesterday and it was quite interesting. The The author asked a question to this elite runner and they said, oh, I don't have like a number, like, you know, I don't have num running as number one and, you know, this is number two. It's everything is prioritized because they're all important to me and I find a way that I can make it sort of fit in. And it was an inter just an interesting way that it wasn't like, ah, oh, this piece of my life is one, this is two, this is three. They sort of said, well, everything is important here. So in order to make everything important, I have to fit it in and put everything where it needs to be to make it work. And I thought it was quite an interesting way to look at it, that it wasn't like, this has to be number one, so therefore I can't do number three or four. You know, it was like, I can do number one because everything is important and I find a way that I can fit that in. So anyway, it was just an interesting perspective shift for me. I always think of things as this is one, this is two, this is three, but it's actually like both of these things are important. So how can I prioritize them both so I can be the best dad I can be and the best runner I can be and the best you know, whatever it might be, trying to sort of put those things all at once. Like, they are all of you. So, yeah. Anyway, interesting perspective. Sorry for the aside. <laughs> no, that's really good. I think that's probably closer to how I view it now. Because if you do think of it as one, two, and three, it can often feel like you're getting pulled in, like, three different directions, right? So but that was that's, that's probably closer. Obviously, communication. Uh, and we're not perfect. But um, one, fortunately, I work in a gym. Um, so you know, it's easier like this morning, um, like I came in, I had to do an hour long bike session. So I came in, rode the bike, I could do work with my laptop on the bike, right? Uh, you know, I'm fortunate to do that, but it, it still has to be early. You know, my alarms are in the 4 a.m. to get a lot of this done. Um, so like a couple examples this past weekend, my wife, we alternate who runs early on Saturdays. You know, she did uh, her three-hour run from 4 a.m. to 7 a.m. She came home. Um, I went to work for a couple of hours, and then I did mine from 12 to 3. Um, and, and that's just our Saturday right now. And then, you know, that's like a work day. So now I've got three for the three until the rest of the day, you know, uh, with my girls to, to spend time with them. Um, you know, she's here right now at the gym too. She's, she's getting her workout in. So she's got childcare when that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, but then there are times when, and you could probably empathize with this a couple days ago, uh, my oldest, she got sick. So that means like, Hey, I've got the girls in the morning. You have to go get your hour, you know, lifting session in. And then we, we trade off, you know, then I can go to work and, and get that done. And that that's how it looks as you fit it in where you can get it in. And, and I also think people tend to overtrain out of fear. And this is something too, like if you can be okay with good enough, it doesn't feel so heavy. Like if I got to do double up a session, mm -hmm. I'll double up a session, you know? So some days, some weeks I, I have to do significantly less. Some weeks I get to do more. And then I just, we fit it in. Um, you know, right now my longest day is three hours. It'll have to get up to five, maybe six hours of running and and as we get closer to that race um even but, as someone who runs five or six hours does not sound like a good time to me um you know it's uh it helps to one get distracted when you're running um i run trails so 
Um, I get really excited to see like a bird or, you know, whatever. I let my mind wander a lot. But I run with people. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. You got to run with people because uh, it, it has to be conversation paced. So you get you're just talking to people and you're walking a lot. Of, you, you know, with trail running, especially longer distance, ultra distances, it's about moving. So, you know, would you go on a walk, a hike for five or six hours with people? Sprinkle yeah. in some running. Now you're an ultra runner. That's it. Like that, <laughs> that's all it is. It just it's it's more walking than it is running at our level, you know, so. Um, but it, it's coordinating, right? This is activity is important to both of us. Our girls are young enough that they're not in activity. So we don't have to, you know, one of you take the kids while I go do this mm-hmm. thing. We are fortunate to have our lives set up. And, and that's not always the case. I, I want to acknowledge that I'm very lucky to have that. Um, and especially to have a supportive partner who understands the importance of my, my uh, extreme goals. And she's training for them, too. We, we, we understand what the other one needs. Not always, you know, it's in the marriage, it's always tough, but you, you, you really have to be like, okay, I need to take the brunt of it right now while she goes and does this thing, because I know I'm going to ask the same of her later. Yeah. And it just so happens that our hobbies are the same in a different marriage. It might be different. You know, I need to watch, you know, take them on and do that for multiple hours while they go do the other thing so i i don't know if that answers the question well enough but that's how we're managing it right now i think it's i think it's a good thing to get as well about the the key there is that you're both on the same page and as you said it doesn't matter what the hobby or the thing that the other person wants to do is if the partners you know if you're supportive of that thing and you are willing to as you as you said you know take the brunt of the looking after the kids for this period of time that's that's cool you know like um they can go and do that thing and then there's that reciprocal part of your guys relationship there where you're both interested and doing similar stuff so it just happens to be that you know unfortunately you can't run together which is kind of a little bit sad i don't know if you guys ever get to do that do you guys ever run together some sometimes sometimes we do uh we've got some family that we can coordinate like um you know my parents watch the girls overnight sometimes and then we'll go run in the morning um on a saturday if they are if they are able to watch the girls so and and you know we're fortunate to have that support system so we do sometimes get to um and then we try to coordinate it maybe sometimes we run on the treadmill if it's raining we get to do that together while um the child center watches our kids and uh we don't talk to each other we put headphones on but at least we're spending time together so it's like a mini date in the middle of the day if we can coordinate it um so so sometimes we do um but most of the time it is a like here i'm gonna go do this now so you can do it later and it works for us at, the, at this season of our life yeah um, and i think that's yeah, that's always the key isn't it like this is what works now for you and it's like this could look completely different in a year like you don't sort of know where things are going to go but i think so long as those main sort of principles and pillars are there that you're communicating about what you're doing you're both supportive of each other's goals like if those things remain intact it won't matter what it looks like mm-hmm. um it it will still or should still work but as you say sounds like really simple and really easy to coordinate but actually there's probably a lot that goes on behind the scenes with the communication and making it work so um i'm just um, aware of our time i just wanted there's one part i didn't really want to miss um because i know that your day job is or or your main sort of focus with your day job is working with other parents um so i was just kind of interested in i guess maybe (laughs) We could almost go a few different places with this, but 
I'm intrigued by what you've learned from training those people as well as sort of the things you've learned, how you use those to work with people, because I think there's a lot of value in learning from others' stories and experiences. Um, and it's probably highlighted some of the things you've learned as well, but I'm just intrigued by that. Um, what's it kind of like working with parents and how have you learned from it and how have you taught in it or, or applied your learnings into it as well? Yeah, it's it's definitely been reciprocal. Um, obviously, I worked with parents before I was a parent, you know, and some mm. of those clients I still have. They've they've helped me through the process. Um, you know, it, what it what I would say I've received the most is like you know some of my clients have children that are adult, so they they tell me like you know in the moment when you're in it, it seems so big, but you need to like take a step back right always mm -hmm. just take a step back i mean that that's like a big wise thing to say and sometimes you need to do that like i need to take a step back from you know this marriage problem that i'm having or you know my child's tantrum at night doesn't always mean that i did something bad or i'm a bad parent right like sometimes mm -hmm. it feels like that um but also too like hey you know that training goal that you have right now like that's probably not going to be important to you later so enjoy it now or yeah. you know um my my <clears throat> oldest daughter the biggest one big thing my oldest daughter she hates sleep like every parent says that but she has hated sleep since the day she was born um if left to her own devices she would stay up till 3 a.m and still wake up at 7 45 she we've we've tried it like hey keep her awake she does not want to go to sleep and she's really young. She just dropped her nap. Like it's a whole thing right now. And at the time, you know, I have a big beef around coaches who tell their clients or athletes like, Hey, you need to get seven hours. You need to get eight hours. But like the situation at home for every person is so different. I would say that's what I've received. And that's what mm -hmm. I give now is like individual differences matter. Yeah. Um, you know, I, that's what I've loved about like learning from RTS specifically and then you and you, know, Mike, having children like individual differences matter. And we don't know why we don't always we can't predict it. And each week is going to look a little different. Each day is going to look a little different. That used to really bother me. Um, and then now I do things like put a movie on and I fall asleep while my daughter gets to stay awake because we've tried a lot of things. and like parents try to offer suggestions, right? Uh, have you tried this thing, that thing? And it's like, yeah, we've tried it all. We have tried all of the things. And now our youngest daughter, she'll fall asleep. No problem. You know, we lay her down, she'll go to sleep. Um, I try to help people understand, like, we need to fit this fitness thing into your life. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, vice versa, like fitness is a small part of my life. Um, now, I mean, it's a big thing, obviously it takes up a lot of my week, but it is in terms of like where like I, I love to spend my time. Like I want to be more present with my kids because like what they, my clients have told me that are parents, like, I'm not, I'm going to hold my daughters for the last time at some point, right. While they're young. So every time I hold them, like that needs to be significant to me. Right. Yeah. Um, those tantrums, like I'm going to miss the fingerprints around the house and I'm going to mess up, right? I'm not going to be a perfect parent, just like we don't expect our fitness to be perfect, our nutrition to be perfect, right? We know we're going to mess up. It's gonna, We're going to mess up as a parent. Um, 
and that's what I tell my clients too, is like, this thing that you're doing should improve your life with your children. Obviously, you have to be selfish to some degree to get that time away to go do those things. But if if this is like this needs to be to improve your life. And if you can't manage those two things, like this is going to be a lot rougher for you. Like if you can't balance those two things, that's going to be rough. Um, Because now I'm starting to work with a lot of people who are getting into like obviously ultra distance events, endurance events, strength strength events, Spartan events. And like being perfect is the worst thing you can be. You need to be flexible. You need to learn how to deal with imperfection. And I think it's attracted people to me that I talk that way because I had to learn that lesson. So um, I don't know if that answers your question well, but that's what I try to instill is the mindset around training and not so much parenting. I'm too new to give any advice on parenting, but like fitness can be this thing that improves your life. It is not a punishment. It is not um, meant to be like super rough. Like you can show your children that there is an enjoyable part to, to exercise and activity. Like it can be enjoyable. Um, yeah, like I think that's, that definitely answers my question. I don't think that is avoiding the question at all. I think you've covered a bunch of good bits and pieces in there. And I, I like what you said about you're too new to parenting to offer any advice. Um, <laughs> that, that kind of makes me laugh a little bit because I think we get, you know, you get some people who just throw advice at everyone. And for me, man, I I struggle with that because as you mentioned, every you know, everyone is an individual. Everyone's child is different. You know, everyone's experiences are different and when you try and apply just like with training right if you try and apply a blanket approach to everyone the exact same thing every time nah man (laughs) it doesn't Um, work it's not going to work every um every kid is is different and every kid needs different things and you've kind of got to work that out just like you would with a client is what works for them and what doesn't and it's going to be take time there's going to be trial and error you're going to screw up sometimes um so I don't think, you know, blanket pieces of advice are necessarily very good anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I think some general principles, you know, same thing with training, there's principles that we want to try and sort of put into that. So, yeah, I, I just like that concept. I'm too new. Like, and that's part of the reason why I've got this the whole podcast, right? I think I mentioned in the first one that there is a selfishness to this. I'm trying to learn from all these different people about mm-hmm. how they do things and how they fit in fitness, but also how they actually can prioritize and look after their children well as well you know like it's something that's really important to me and learning from others like yourself is is a bit of a privilege really you know so that's why I started this to try and selfishly steal other people's knowledge but then generously put that (laughs) open for everyone else Mm -hmm. to take stuff from right Mm -hmm. um just aware that I do need to get into these last three questions so I can go and Mm -hmm. uh get myself ready the people can't see the video but I'm a bit of a mess uh you know, straight up, eat a bit of food and into the podcast. So I I do need to get myself ready for my day job. Um, so before we do wrap up though, Zach, um, I sent through those three final questions to you. And so um, I'm just going to run through those ones and then and then we'll finish up. So again, already thanks a whole bunch for your time, man. I really do appreciate it and your openness and honesty. And, you know, I think we've had some real good, real good bits in there around that whole mindset, I think, to training and that mindset to competition, which is something that gets challenged with parenthood. Um, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I've really valued that discussion, man. 
Um, so let's get into these final three. So the first one is one key parenting tip um, or word of advice for new dads. So the first few years especially is kind of what I'm aware I'm in at the moment and you're in. So, I mean, I'm assuming it's going to be something related to that. But, yeah, I'm interested to hear sort of what would be a tip or some sort of word of advice that you would give to a, to a new parent. Your kids want you there. They don't want you to be perfect, right? Like that's that's the biggest thing. Like they're learning and they want you. Um, they don't want a perfect parent. Uh, they mm. like they they will learn when what a true apology looks like when you mess it up. You know, you lose your temper, you yell, um, you know, you say the wrong thing. They need to see you, you know, messing up and then apologizing or making it better. You know, I've got a tattoo on my arm that says, "If I must fall, I will rise each time a better man," and that's what I mm -hmm. think about. Like, I need to just keep showing up for them. So. You know, just keep showing up for your kids and be there with them. Um, you're not going get, to get it right 100% of the time. Most of the time, it's going to feel like you're getting it wrong. But with if you're there and, you know, showing them what you can do to be there, I think that's step number one. That's awesome, man. That's really good. Um, second one we've got there is the most helpful new habit that you've implemented in the past year. It doesn't have to be limited to parenthood or training. It could be, you know, completely unrelated, but just a helpful new habit that you've implemented within the last sort of 12 months? I would say, you know, implementing this like imperfect <laughs> mentality, you know, like just just do it, just do the thing. Um, be in the thing. I know that seems so vague, but like just. Uh, can I swear on the podcast? Is that a thing? Go for it. All right. Um, there's a really popular saying online fuck around and find out like you know just go find out like go see if you can do it like go mm. go see how it is to parents when you get little sleep and you want to spend more time with your kids rather than trying to justify it like that's me in my head like I try to justify 10 different things rather than just go do the thing and figure it out like <laughs> then you will find out that experiment worked or it didn't rather than trying to preemptively figure out what's wrong it's good to plan it's good to to think things through before you do it but don't let inaction be the thing so that that's that's what something that i've tried um to do more in my life is go go be more curious go discover go talk to people more be more empathetic um go you know fuck around and find out more like that's been a bigger thing for me and it's actually really improved my life like it's made me more empathetic made me talk to more interesting people and it's helped me be a better coach because here let's go try this thing that you want to do as an athlete and we're just going to see if it works right like let's go do that if it doesn't work then we scrap it and if it does work hey we found a new way uh so yeah um you know that's been the I, new habit I like, I like that one i'm i'm a big a big believer in like you don't have to have it perfect before you start like because that's just going to be a handbrake that's going to stop you doing any anything <laughs> anything so. If you have to be perfect before you set your foot out the door to go for a run, you know, you have to have the perfect plan down or the perfect shoes or the perfect whatever. It's like, man, you're never going to start. No. Um, and only by starting are you going to get anything done. So, yeah, I only ran a 20 mile long run before my 64 mile race with that mentality. I was just like, all right, let's just find out. Like, let's see how far I can go. And luckily enough, I did get to finish the race. But that was the mentality it was just like see what an ultra is all about and i went from a half marathon all the way up to 64 miles so 100k 
<laughs> love it. Love don't it. recommend that. Yeah, I don't recommend say, that to your listeners. Do not do that. That's don't not do that. training advice from no, from no, Zach. That's just an <laughs> not at all. It's an example, <laughs> exactly. Um, and then finally, mate, just um, a book or podcast recommendation that you'd give to people. Yeah. Uh, so I would say uh, book, the most influential book in my life, and I know you've already had this recommendation. The subtle art of not giving a fuck is hands down. Yeah. It, it's good. It it just makes you not hold on to like a lot of those things like we talked about with identity. Um, that was a big thing. I've revisited that book multiple times in my life. Uh, but one thing I do want to give, if anybody reads fantasy, uh, Brandon Sanderson books are phenomenal, but there's a lot of philosophical lessons. That's actually where the quote that my tattoo um, came from. Um, because uh, one, thi one thing uh, in one of his series, he talks about like the most important step a person can take is always the next one and you know you're gonna mess up you're gonna stumble you're gonna fall stop putting so much importance on what you have done and just move forward you know so uh those two one author and then that book i would recommend a lot of people people read that's cool my wife tells me that i should read more um non-fiction so i should probably <laughs> go go grab one i wrote the name down so <laughs> i uh i can remember that but Thanks heaps for coming on today, Zach. I really appreciate it, you know, um, tuning in, jump, fitting around my New Zealand time zone schedule. Um, it's always fun coordinating these things, and it reminds me of when I was coaching for RTS with my many 6 a.m. meetings oh, that I yeah. used to have. So, <laughs> yeah, but really That's appreciate your time, man. It's been great to have you on. Um, where can people find you if they're wanting to follow some of your stuff? Mainly, I would just say uh, Instagram's probably the best place. It's just Zach.Powell. Um I would say that's probably the the one place that I put most of my stuff right now. Cool. And that's where I found you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. Appreciate Good to you. have you on. Thanks a lot, Zach. Thank you so much, Aiden. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Stronger Dads Collective podcast. If you gained anything of value, please go ahead and share this episode with someone else that you think may benefit from its content. Also, feel free to follow me on Instagram at HJP underscore Stronger Dads. That's at HJP underscore Strong Dads. We'll see you on the next one.